Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we are bringing on Nick Sheesby, who shares his story about wellness in general, how he was going down a really dark path, drinking a lot, becoming really ill because of his addiction to alcohol, and how changing his whole lifestyle out of necessity to really, really, truly reclaim his life just transformed him as a person. And it's a really fascinating interview. I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning that we do talk about addiction, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts, and it is a bit heavy. So If this feels too heavy for you right now, we totally understand. You can skip this one or come back when you're feeling more emotionally stable to listen. Yeah, I think this is a really powerful episode though. And if you are feeling inspired to listen, it's interesting because there's so many parallels between unhealthy drinking habits and unhealthy eating habits. And as you'll hear in this episode, for Nick, it was really came down to uh, everything's going great and fine and feels like no problem at all to a, a really do or die in terms of making changes situation. And that's so often how changes get made on the food front too. Illness and disease and things often creep up without us even no- noticing any warning signs until sometimes it's too late. Heart disease can snatch someone's life without any warning and take away family members and friends and all of that. And we don't think about how our relatively innocent seeming food choices can have that dire consequence. And the same goes for alcohol, which is something we haven't talked about before on the podcast. But I think this will hopefully be relevant to some, or maybe not hopefully, but may, may be relevant, relevant to some and potentially help just possibly even save some lives too. So this was an episode, the first one where I didn't even, I didn't jump in. Tony, I just feel like you were in such a flow with Nick. And I can tell you as a listener of this episode, I walked away feeling incredibly moved. I learned a lot and I I kind of have a new perspective on drinking. So thank you, Tony, for diving into all of this with Nick and for all those listening. Yeah, enjoy. Before you enjoy the episode, I did want to say that we're doing this because we are also on the the tail end of coming out of pretty dark place in our time with the pandemic. So many people I know personally struggled with depression and they lost their jobs and maybe their marriages didn't work out. And when we're thinking about wellness and and health, it's not always just food related. Food is so important, but there are other aspects. And you'll hear in the episode that Uh, It wasn't just sobriety. It wasn't just diet change. It was also exercise and really getting to know yourself on a deeper level that can bring you into a better, brighter place, a better, brighter world. So with that said, we hope you enjoy the episode. But first, we want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Bullion, who we love big time. It is the new year and I am trying to eat more intentionally healthy. And that means I'm doing so many veggie heavy dishes like soups and stews and curries and stir fries. And the base of all of them that's providing the majority of the flavor has been my no chicken bouillon from Better Than Bouillon. And what I love about it is that unlike bouillon, which comes in cubes, you can really control how much you use. So say I want to put it in a stir fry. I only need a little bit. I don't have to fuss around with cutting a cube and trying to get exactly what I need uh, with it crumbling. This works perfectly. Yeah. Better than bouillon is like a condensed soup stock base. And so you can spoon out as much as you want. If you want one cup of broth. You just do a cup of water with a teaspoon of bouillon, but it's cool to be able to use as much as you want. I am on a personal mission to clean out my fridge and freezer. I want to start this new year. I want to step into the rest of the year with a clean slate. And after the holidays and the beginning of the year and everything, I've just accumulated a lot in my fridge and freezer. And so Better Than Bouillon has been like a a huge assist in that. Between that and, you know, just 
cooking in my Instant Pot. I just love cooking up delicious meals that also, like Tony said, are super healthy and packing in the nutrients. You can find Better Than Bouillon in the soup section of most grocery stores. And they are also online at betterthanbouillon.com. Bouillon is spelled B-O-U-I-L-L-O-N. I know that's confusing for people. <laughs> uh, and there they have so much more than just about the products. You can find recipes and tips and you'll have to let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Better Than Bouillon. And then we are also excited to thank our next sponsor, which is Pedal. I love Pedal. Tony and I are absolute sparkling water addicts. And Pedal is a fun sort of fancier version of sparkling water. It is flavored with really cool like flower essences They have flavors like peach marigold and lychee rose. They have an original rose flavor, elderberry, white tea flower, just really cool, unique flavors. And then they're also very, very lightly sweetened with some agave, which is pretty cool. Yes, you can also dress them up with actual flowers. So if you're having a cocktail party or something like that and you want an elegant drink, you can dress it up. Or if you're wanting to serve it, it's in an elegant can. It's slim and tall and really, really beautiful. We had our friend Whitney Lordson over and she could not believe how good the rose flavored one was. Rose is her favorite and it just blows people away. Absolutely. And since we're in the new year and everyone's trying to be a little bit healthier, a nice thing is that this is only sweetened with a little bit of of agave. So if you are a soda drinker and are trying to cut back, try swapping to this. It's a much better alternative. And it's just, yeah, as we mentioned, so, so beautiful. And it's caffeine-free. So you can drink it any time of day or night. If you're working late, you can open one of these, have that beautiful, satisfying sound of a can opening and sip on your delightfully sparkling water. So thank you so much, Petal. You can find them online at drinkpedal.com and definitely check out their Instagram, which is just at drinkpedal. Now onto the show. Nick, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I am really excited to, to chat with you. I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but I have never consumed alcohol in my life. I am actually very opposed to alcohol and I just feel very strongly that Wow. That it's not for me and not because I'm religious or anything like that. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about about why later down the line, but I'm so interested in your story personally and I'm excited to have you on the show. Michelle is excited to have you on the show to get people inspired about starting the new year off healthier. And I know so many people go January dry and hopefully you can give some tips for continuing to live healthy and consuming less alcohol as the year goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's amazing when you said as a as a lifelong sober person, I was thinking <laughs> that we had a similar story, but that's that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> that's you. pretty amazing. I, it's a, quite an unconventional lifestyle. But before we dive into your story, which I'm very eager to do, can you tell us about where you're calling from right now? Yeah, I am in Nashville, oh. Tennessee. Um, packing currently to head to Iceland for a month, though. That, so that's exciting. That is exciting. I have never been to Nashville, but I did watch the TV show and learned a lot. Of, <laughs> learned a lot about <laughs> the music scene there, and uh, know that that is very thriving. Paint a picture of who you are. If you could give us just a little bit of a background of maybe where you grew up. So I grew up in a small town called Ashland, Ohio. It's a very conservative, very, um, very Christian. I always say closed-minded because it, it is what it is. So I grew up in that. I grew up in a very like three, four times a week going to church a lot of rules. I I was one of the kids who actually had curfews when curfews became a thing. And I was always trying to rebel against that. And yeah, it was, it was a safe upbringing. Um, There wasn't much diversity, but there that also there wasn't much crime. So I was kind of in a little bubble when I was growing up. And then um, I think when I started to kind of branch out and, and realize that, 
what I was seeing just wasn't making much sense as I was, I was seeing, I was seeing my parents and people that were going to the church that were saying one thing and doing the other thing. And it, it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I didn't understand why that was the case. And then I started exploring on my own, just kind of my own thought process and just growing up and trying to figure out why that was the case. And I, I really found music and it was like, I found a Christian punk rock band by the name of MXPX. And I had never heard that kind of music before. And it just, it was fast and it was aggressive and they were standing up against certain things. And it, it just kind of started to make sense. And I, I started to like get into that more and it just kind of opened my mind because then I, I found through a, a college radio station, I found uh, like a punk rock hour on Friday nights at one in the morning that I would, I would wake up and I'd, I'd hit double tap on the record on tape, old tape players, and I'd listen to it. And then that's when I really started to kind of like open my mind to the rest of the world. It was like the first time that I... Yeah, I'd, I'd heard people standing up for what they believed in and, and standing up against things. And yeah, it just really resonated with me. And that was a big, big part of of who I was. But also, at the same time, I, I was a part of like the Jackass generation where I thought I would be on the show Jackass. And funny enough, I was always the one who... It's good foreshadowing for later in the, in my story is I was always the one who... I was always the sober one and my friends were the drunk ones telling me not to do certain crazy stunts or whatever. So I, I never wanted to drink because I, I thought I was I, I thought I was too crazy to drink. I was thinking if if they were drunk, I didn't need to be where they were at. So I was always like the crazy one without drinking. So that that was kind of where I grew up. I I I just found joy in chaos and then the music kind of gave me that chaos and then the stunts gave me that chaos and it, it just kind of opened my mind past where I was. Nick, your story up. is so extremely relatable to me. I too grew up in a very conservative home and I really loved my upbringing. I have great parents. Uh, my grandparents helped raise me. My dad was in the Navy and was active duty full time. So I lived with my grandparents and just had this very conventional, more conservative upbringing. And somewhere around 15, 16, I found punk rock music and really just changed my life. I thought I too would go into the military yeah. and my whole family's in the military. My brother, my dad, my aunt, my uncles, my cousins, everyone's in the military. I thought that was my path. And wow. I remember going into punk rock music and just feeling like, oh my gosh, what is all of this information? I learned about uh, I learned about animal <laughs> rights. I learned about just more progressive thought. Yeah. And also I learned what straight edge was. And that's uh, when I became, when I decidedly okay. sober. And, and so that's the beginning of my story, which is so listening to you made me like nod yeah. my head a lot. Totally. And that's funny you brought up straight edge because until I started drinking, and when I was in my 20s, I was in a city in Virginia and there was a very good punk and metal scene and straight edge was massive at that time. And because I didn't drink, everyone thought I was straight edge, but I wasn't necessarily straight edge. I just didn't trust myself. But technically, I was straight edge. But it was funny when I started learning about straight edge. So that that's fantastic. That, <laughs> that, that For the that's listeners so who don't know you. what straight edge means, straight edge is a lifestyle that comes from the punk rock scene. There was a time when punk was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then there was a subculture that emerged and a band called Minor Threat who said, we don't need to do that. We don't need to be on drugs, be drunk to have a good time. And uh, from there, it, it grew and became very popular and has really influenced me in my life. And that's the background of that. So Nick, you were not drinking. You were playing pranks, which actually is funny because Michelle's birth father, he was totally a prankster. And uh, sometimes I would think, 
Oh, he he would totally do stuff like on that show if if he had the opportunity. Michelle, would you agree? Yeah. A hundred percent. It also made me think of him. And I also know that he went through periods of his life not drinking because he totally did not need to in order to to be what other people would think is drunk. So (laughs) yeah. How do you go from being uninhibited and and sober? To then wanting to drink. I know a lot of people need the liquid courage to be a little bit more social and adventurous. How did you make that switch? That's a really great question. And it all like it, it kind of just boils into my life story of I was living in Virginia, got my heart broken, that old that old song and dance, your first heartbreak. And I ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia, and I ended up through friends of my brother getting a job at a music venue called the the Tabernacle. And I just was like sweeping floors and scanning tickets and all that and ended up working at another venue in town. Long story short, I ended up working at a couple venues, a couple Steve Madden stores. And then I ended up getting a job at Warner Brothers Records as a field marketing rep, which sounds fancy, but it was the head of a street team, basically. So I was just working a ton of hours just to live because I'd never lived in a big city and Atlanta was expensive then, at least to me. So I started into the music industry that way, just through venues. And then uh, when I started at Warner... The part of the job was just promotion and giving out stickers and posters and stuff at, at concerts for like artists or similar artists who who were who were at the shows. And I had connections in the music scene in Atlanta, so it was quite easy for me to go to shows and pass out stickers and posters, and I didn't ever have to ask for guest lists or anything. So I was sending in all these reports. Anyway, Warner Brothers thought it was fantastic that I was doing this. So they sent me out to a few shows on tour called Project Revolution. And so here I was this 22 year old kid, I hadn't really traveled much. But I had a ton of energy. I was still the sober kid. And uh, I was just running around like a crazy person passing out stickers and posters and having a blast. And so I met up or I met these these guys uh, who worked for Lincoln Park. And they were production assistants and we just became fast friends. Some of them are still close friends of mine today. But fast forward another little bit into the story, they messaged me to go on tour with Linkin Park in uh, early 2006 or seven. One of the two, I can't remember. It's crazy. It's been so long ago. But so I got into the music industry and I was still sober and I was on a tour bus, which was wild. Usually you have to be in vans and trailers and whatever else before you get there. And so I, I worked in the music industry and my jobs in the music industry were very people-oriented, very, very forward for the band. So I was production assistant, which just meant I was working my ass off and I was running around like crazy and just being there for people basically customer service for the band. And then I also was production or a sponsorship coordinator, which meant I was I was helping with like Verizon uh, used to sponsor a lot of tours. So I would help out with that, which meant that I was talking to customers and I was helping with meet and greets. And so a lot of my jobs were starting to be super extroverted, which I was, I was very extroverted, but because of the, of the extreme amount of hours that the music industry demands from you, I was, I was learning that I was actually kind of introverted or it was helping me become an introvert. So the more I progressed into my work and I, I really loved it, but it, it was kind of, I was kind of the head of the carnival. People would come in for a meet and greet or a pre-party for bands and I was the host. And so more and more as I was having to be more outgoing for my work, I started to become more and more introverted in my personal life. Um, and I was okay. I was I was dealing with it, not with drinking at this point. I just I just kind of went along my my way. Cause one thing I learned growing up was how not to talk about true feelings or what you're going through, just kind of push it under the rug and keep going. I was very good at that because it's what I knew. It's kind of 
the way the world works in that small little town still, even with my parents to this day, it's, it's a hard battle to share your feelings. So I was very good at just not caring or acting like I didn't care. And with touring, it's very good escapism. So I could just leave and I'd be in a new city and I didn't have to worry about as much. So it just kind of built into this, this circle of being an extrovert for work and then introvert. Uh, and then I got hired with a band and I ended up working in a and or going on tour with this band who was in a van and trailer, which is, again, the opposite of the way it usually works. And so I got in with these guys and they were super nice, but we were just like driving around the country, eight, eight dudes in a 15 passenger van. And one night we were in Houston, Texas and they were at this, this came up. They were like, dude, why don't you, why don't you drink? And it wasn't like they were pressuring me or anything. They just asked. And I, I told them the story of like being part of the jackass generation and thinking I was too crazy to drink and that I wouldn't have control over myself. And they were like, well, we're going to this bar right across the street called Dirt Bar. And our friend Sean Sharma owns it. And you don't have to pay for drinks and we'll be there for you. So if anything goes wrong, we'll take care of you. And they were like, so do you have any reason not to? And at that point, I had run out of reasons to not drink. So I decided that night that I would try it out and see what I thought. Because my friends were there and I was 26 years old and wasn't drinking. And I just thought, what the hell? Let's go for it. So. um this is where, I mean, I still remember taking that first drink and then as it progressed and I started feeling my face, like feel that tingly feeling when, when you're getting tipsy. And then I remember feeling drunk for the first time and I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so that's where, as we progress forward in my story, that's, that's where I, I can still remember that feeling. I can remember where I was standing in the bar when I started to feel that. So that that was the story of of how I started drinking to it was it was just like a whatever, okay, I'll try it. And then yeah, the first the first sip I knew I was I was hooked. Whoa. I don't even know. Well obviously I don't know what that's like, but from there what? So you take your first sip, you have your first experience being tipsy and then drunk and you love it. But then what? Do you start drinking every night? Is it a slow change in your life that's gradual and more and more uh, becomes an issue? Or or how did it go for you? So yeah, it, it, it just became something that I really enjoyed. And I, I think everyone, or most everyone, I can't say everyone, because you, Tony, have, are not part of everyone. But most people have their like say college days where they they go wild for a couple of years or whatever and i just think i i found something that was super fun and i started just to feel extroverted again all the time especially when i was drinking it it, it brought me out of my shell it it made me like everybody feels when you're drinking like you said liquid courage and yeah, it started as just a fun little habit. Uh, I would I would just drink. And I think a lot of people get in their minds about the music industry that it's just sex, drugs, and rock and roll all the time. And it's not necessarily that. It's, it's, a, it's a place where nobody tells you no. They're not going to stop you from doing what you're doing. But you have to work a, a ton. Like the hours are crazy. Most of the time, it's 15-hour days. I was getting good at just like drinking. And at that point it was just beer. So um, I wasn't, I wasn't into hard liquor at that point. But shortly after that, when I got home from that tour, I, I just started going to bars and then that's when I started drinking more whiskey. And it just, it, it, it just took a turn. It, 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 it became that chaos in my life that I, that I hadn't felt in a long time. Cause I, I, I even with the jackass stuff with the skating and it, it just kind of filled that void that I, that I always loved it. I always wanted that adrenaline rush. I always wanted to be jumping off of buildings or doing crazy stunts. And this kind of felt that way for me. Cause 
it was more of a challenge of like, okay, I really like drinking. I like being drunk. Like how drunk can I get? It was almost myself challenging myself to drink a ton and still be okay. And I, I do remember the first night when I drank, I got I got super drunk. But also my my friends in the band were like, damn, dude, you... <laughs> You drink a lot. And the next morning I woke up and I didn't feel too, too bad. But so I always say like I had a drinking career and the first few years were a lot of fun. But I was drinking to the point where after about a year and a half, I couldn't drink whiskey anymore because I just drank so much whiskey. And then I was just going through the liquors because I, I was drinking so much and then I would lose the taste for it or I'd get sick every time I would drink it. So I'd just be like, all right, well, I can't drink whiskey anymore. I can't drink gin anymore. I can't drink vodka anymore. I had gotten rid of beer because I'd started putting on weight and it didn't get me drunk quick enough. So that was kind of like how it progressed. It just turned into that chaos that I that I had loved through the music and skating and all the other stuff. For you, was it, was it purely fun and a challenge or was there something underlying that was calling you to drink? Like maybe something internally, emotionally, mentally? I mean, as as I have grown away from it, there's definitely stuff underneath. I mean, family, family trauma as a kid that I had never dealt with, um, religious trauma that I had never dealt with, and then just some depression as well, especially once I started touring as much as I was touring. I was, I was traveling 10 to 11 months a year. So it, it doesn't make for the, the best atmosphere for having friendships that are lasting. I mean, you make good friends on the road, but then there's some people I haven't seen in 10 years that I still talk to, but I haven't physically seen that person. So it, it creates a weird version of friendship where... You, became, you become almost family because you're living in such co- close quarters for months at a time, but you're not necessarily going to see them again. You, If you don't work for the same band and you go off on, on your way, then you don't see them. So yeah, there definitely was a lot of underlying tones building that again, because of the of, of the place that I grew up in and the lack of depth to the way I was told that we could deal with these things or that I could talk to people about it. I just, I still didn't talk about these things. And I knew that I really loved to drink. And even in the early days, I had people just being like, wow, dude, you, you drink a lot. And I I don't know if it's good for you. But at that point, I'm still young. I was 26, 27, 28. And I was just like, whatever, dude, I got this. I'm, I'm young. I'm healthy. Nothing bad has ever happened. It definitely what fueled it was a lot of escapism, a lot of just wanting to be the life of the party. But then as I progressed into my drinking career, it that was the only way for me to be that person was to drink myself to be the life of the party or be the life of the party because I drank so much. And it was the novelty of, wow, look how much Nick can drink. That seems like a lot of pressure. At what point did it go from it's not an issue to oh wow this is a huge issue and and I need to get it under control? Well, so I had a relationship that I was trying to get off the road for and it it just it went well for a little while but her and I were just very good drinking buddies. We we had a lot of fun together and we just just drank way too much together and it just didn't help make a very it wasn't helpful to the relationship and then i left for a tour and i came back and it just didn't end well either so then i my depression kicked in more and i i just i took it to a really deep extreme and i was drinking most of the day at that point i would i would start pretty early in the day and then i would get my job done and then as soon as I was done with work, I would just drink until I started blacking out. And that was probably three or so years into into drinking. And I mean, even when I wasn't like trying to drink to blackout, I was I was getting pretty close every night. But that that was really when it, it started to get really dark, was I got I got really hung up on on that breakup and I dove straight back into touring because it was easy. 
because I could just run away. I, I was leaving again. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to get out of town and I'll go see all these other places. And then I don't have to think about real life because I'm on the road. And when I'm on the road, it doesn't necessarily mean that I that it's real life. So it took a really dark turn. And I, at that point, I was drinking to forget a lot. I was drinking not even because I enjoyed it. It was just something I did. It became who I was. Everybody that knew me always knew me with a drink in my hand. And that was really, really when it started to to unravel. And I I didn't get to a place where I told myself that I was going too far. I had a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in that time just saying, dude, you're headed for destruction, man. It is it is really bad and you should get help. But again, in the music industry, they'll say those things and then kind of step back because they know how stubborn they are in that industry and also that I, I was very stubborn. So I was like, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. I still was thinking I was invincible. So I was still pretty young. And when it really just got to a head, um, I was drinking and discos in the States. I, I should just look up what the actual like content of of water it was, but I was drinking a handle and a half of rum every single day on my own. Also some Fireball and Jaeger on top of that, but I would also be going out to bars. So not only was I drinking a ton, I was spending a ton of money and I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to be in, let's say, Indiana, I knew their liquor laws. So I, I would, if I was going to be there on a Sunday, I would have to stock up on Saturday in Illinois so that I had enough to get me through the day in Indiana. So it it turned into that kind of atmosphere where I was... Uh, not only was I my habit controlling my life, feeding my habit was. I had to know where the closest local bar was so I could sneak over from work and take a shot or two and then come back. And I just had to have it together enough to host a party for these bands. And most of the time that involved people buying me drinks. So it, it didn't look that bad because part of my job was to entertain and do my work. And the drunker I was, I was doing pretty well at that. So looking back, that would be a time where <laughs> I would have loved for myself to say, Hey, dude, you should stop because it, it didn't stop there. I want to take a moment to acknowledge that this, this story that you're you're telling it may seem extreme to some people like wow how does that happen how it just seems so unfamiliar a lot of people can control how much they drink and drink socially but i am really surprised uh because i am a i don't drink and i am a safe person for people who don't drink to be around and to hang out with and i can have fun and go on walks have dinner go to coffee shops and socialize in a way that doesn't include alcohol yeah. I have been approached by so many people, so many people who are ashamed of how they had behaved or had been drinking silently alone in their house because they didn't want to bring attention to how often and how much they were drinking. It's it's a more common it's a more yeah. common thing than I think people know. Oh, Oh, that's okay. So I just wanted to acknowledge that just in case anyone is listening and thinking, whoa, that's really, that's really wild. It's actually more common than one might expect. Totally is. I mean, I've been thinking about this recently. And I mean, especially in during COVID is I, I with my habit, I just wouldn't have made it through. And I know people I speak with, and even just my friends who we chat with on Zoom, it's, it's, they talk about what they're drinking or when they started drinking. And I mean, even the, say the basic happy hour, right? You finish your work day and where do you go? You go to the bar for happy hour, quote unquote, the happy hour. So instantly you're going to a bar for the happiest hour of the day. And that's to drink, to forget your day. That is a, that is a massive alcoholic habit is even just going to happy hour to drink the day away. That is very, very alcoholic in nature. So it's not far off to think that if you just are 
after every conference call or when the kids go to bed, if the first thing you grab to unwind is a glass of wine or a beer or a shot and a drink, it's that's a start of it. I'm not, I'm not saying you have a problem, but these things that are becoming so normalized, it, it does lead itself right down towards that path if you don't be careful about it. We're all, we all have the ability to become that. I, I never thought I'd be an alcoholic. I, I, for 26 years of my life, I didn't even touch alcohol. And then instantly I was into it without me even knowing or paying attention to it. And then by the time I was there, I, I couldn't stop it. And the only thing that stopped it was after all of this and I had progressed this far, I was flying home to Ohio to see my grandfather before I left for another tour. And I made my dad cry. I made my mom cry. I made my couple of my friend's kids just downright scared of me because of the way I looked. I was fully jaundiced. I was completely yellow in my eyes. I looked like I'd been dipped in Golden's mustard which is just a very yellow mustard, if you don't know what that is. And my liver was starting to fail. And I was 33 years old. And my friends and my dad came and they were like, you have to go to the hospital. I got to the hospital and the lady that was checking us in at the hospital said, I'm just going to tell you this because people are going to look at you. They're going to stare at you because you're the yellowest person I've ever seen in my life. And she'd been in the medical field for 30 plus years. And at that point, I, I finally realized like, dude, you, you've done some damage to yourself. Then they took me in to do some tests and I, I, this doctor came in and I'll never forget it. I mean, you, if you get these words at any point in your life, you'll never forget them. But I was laying there, my dad and a good friend of mine and I were, were laying there or in the room and he just came up and he said, he's not going to make it. And he said, with how bad your liver is, he's not going to make it through the night, but you have to go to Cleveland. So it was the biggest or the, the closest big city to be at a better hospital. So I waited for an ambulance and then I rode in an ambulance to Cleveland. And when I got there, I told the doctor because I, I just needed blunt honesty. I said, dude, if you know I'm I'm not going to make it through tonight, I need you to look the other way. I need you to not check me into this this hospital because I'm I'm not dying in this hospital. Like I'm, I'm not going out that way. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to fly somewhere and I'm going to rent a wingsuit and I'm just going to like soar over a fjord and just go out like a flying squirrel. And he he just said, you know, we're going to do everything we can and we want to admit you. And I said, okay, but you have to be completely honest. Like this is my life. And yes, I've put myself here, but I still have choices. So if you know that I'm too far gone at any point in this stay, I need you to tell me that I have to know that. So that first night I'm sitting in a hospital room and mind you, I'm 33. I didn't drink till I was 26. So in seven years, I went from zero to beginning stages of liver failure. And I'm laying there and when you're told if you might not make it through the night, I, I challenge anybody to fall asleep in a, in a moment like that because if you have no idea if you're waking up the next day, it's not really high on your priority list to, to fall asleep. So I was sitting there and the only thing you can do in that moment is start to look back at life and what you've done and what your life has looked like. And the first step in empowerment for me in that moment was that when I looked into what I had done with my life, I, I had traveled, I'd seen a lot of I'd seen a lot of the world, which I was very fortunate to do. I had done all these these crazy things and enjoyed myself. And so I was I was really happy that I had done it. I hadn't taken a safe route. I I had gotten into the music industry and actually gotten some big jobs. And it wasn't necessarily that it was the big jobs or anything like that. It was just the fact that I was doing things the way I wanted to. And so I was, I was really proud of myself in those moments, just knowing that I could have done anything else. But I, I, I took these chances and I took these risks for myself and truly enjoyed life because when those moments hit too, it's like, 
had I just worked in a cubicle, I, would, I can't imagine what I would have been feeling that night had I not traveled or experienced life or really just challenged myself in life. And so that was a massive empowerment moment for me. And there were moments in those last couple of years before I got to that hospital room that I sat there and I just was like, I just don't care if I live or die. I really, really don't. And that moment when I'm in that hospital room, basically have the the choice if I just want to let it go or if I wanted to keep drinking, I could have easily just not been around anymore. So I was uh, at that moment when I was presented like, hey, dude, do you care if you live or die? I'm really happy that I'm telling you this story right now so that you know the choice that I came up with in that moment. And (sighs) this is really heavy. I can only imagine what your family was experiencing, I must, and how their sadness and worry and just all of the different things that they were feeling must have felt for you to see them in pain and to see them in sadness fear. Yeah. And so you're in the hospital thinking this could possibly be your last night. Your family's super concerned about you. Is it this visit where you decide that wellness is going to be a priority if you can make it through the night? Because I know your journey is not just about sobriety. It's also about plant-based living. Yes. To your point about being concerned about family and friends. I mean, that was that was another big, big thought process that I was going through. It was like nothing like egotistical about it. I was just like, when your friends pass away, people are sad. And so I was like, I'm going to bring so much sadness if friends of mine that I've toured with, like I've said, you just don't see them. If I don't see them again and they just find out that I passed away, I'm going to bring all this sadness. So that was definitely heavy on my mind that night as well. But flash forward to the end of my hospital stay, the doctor came in that morning and he just said, Hey, man, we're going to let you out of the hospital, but it's not because you're good. It's because we can't do anything else for you here. So you have to do three things in life to even have a fighting chance at this. He said, first off, do not ever drink again. Don't ever drink again. Secondly, because I wasn't eating by the end of my drinking career, I was just drinking nonstop. I was waking up every morning and starting drinking. I was rolling over in the night and drinking. So he said, start eating and start eating healthy. Listen to your body. It will tell you what you can and can't eat. And you have to follow that and then start exercising. So at that moment, I just kind of had a sigh of relief that I was leaving the hospital, but I knew I was in for a long journey. So starting into the journey that took me to veganism was, I remember going after one hospital visit uh, with a specialist and I got some really good news. So I was like, all right, let's go get a burger. I haven't had a burger in a really long time. And I remember having red meat for the first time in a while. And I got incredibly sick immediately. And so I was like, well, if I'm listening to my body, my body says, let's not do that. And then I started into just like easier meats, I guess you would call it. And I was doing chicken and turkey and I just wasn't feeling that well. I wasn't feeling horrible. But like as I was exercising and getting in shape, there was still something just a little bit off. And I was in going forward in my sobriety at this point. Like I've, I've never had a drink since, since that night in the hospital. So sobriety is the underlying current of it with this. And so I went out on tour with a band. They're from the UK and they are all vegans when they're off the road. And then they do, they do vegetarian or some do pescatarian while they're on the road. And they were, they were just, we were talking one night and I was telling them what I was going through. And they said, well, why don't you take another step and just cut meat out and do either vegetarian or pescatarian. So I said, all right, I'll I'll do pescatarian. So I started into that. And then when I cut meat out, I felt a lot better. And then flash forward, I I was in Northern Finland with my partner who I met on a tour in 2019. And we had this really rare Finnish fish. And I just said, I think I'm good on I'm good on this. I don't think I'll ever find a more unique meal than this. And I I was not feeling bad, but I was just like I, I think I'm ready to take a step away from fish as well and 
to vegetarianism. And then when I said that, I was just like, well, if I'm going to do vegetarian and I've already cut out meat, why would I have any animal products? So at that point, it was late 2019, early 2020 that I just said, all right, well, I'm cutting fish out and I'm, I'm going to go fully vegan. And immediately when I started into veganism and I was still exercising and still sober, it just clicked. My body just like was firing on all cylinders. And it was really amazing to feel your body when you're sobering up, when you're, you're actually taking care of your body in that regard, how much better it feels and how every new day of sobriety just feels incredible and is, is amazing for your body. But also, as I took steps away from meat, I felt myself getting recovering from workouts quicker. And as you age, obviously, that doesn't happen all the time. So the fact that I was just like feeling so good and I was, I was feeling these advances in, in my, my, myself getting in shape, it just it made so much sense. And then obviously, when I started looking into just the treatment of animals and the way these slaughterhouses are, it was like, I will, I could never, I couldn't even imagine how I could have ever eaten meat, but truly it was just coupled with sobriety. It, it made it so much better. And then when I learned why that works that way is because when you're eating vegan, your body isn't processing nearly as much. So as a, I needed to not process a lot through my liver because it was very, damaged. So it just made so much sense that once I stopped doing that damage to my body, that it, it was so much better for it to heal itself by taking all those animal products out of it and giving it such a nicer diet that, that was less to process. You mentioned that every day of sobriety is better and you and you feel your body's healing and and you probably feel some clarity for the first time in a while. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. Sometimes people really struggle with feeling all the feelings and seeing all of the color for the first time in a long time. And I'm wondering if you could share with anybody who's listening and is experiencing alcoholism themselves or maybe knows someone or is maybe maybe they're just struggling with depression right now and they're relying on alcohol. Can you share your experience about how you were able to move past that part of your life? Because I know it's an extremely difficult process to be a different person than you've been for the past seven years and to go back and do the same things that you were doing, but now sober. Yeah, it was. I mean, in in my head, I, I had no idea what being a sober human was. I Outwardly, I was trying to be strong to say, I got this, I can do this. But when you've been literally drunk every day for seven years, it's it's incredibly tough to to even think of being in a social situation without having a drink to to calm you down. And I had really amazing steps. I, I actually did not do AA. I actually just attended my first AA meeting yesterday with a friend of mine just to check it out. And it was really beautiful. And I, I can see the value of having a community of people to to talk to about it that have been through it and don't see you as a crazy person. But for me, my journey started with a friend of mine named Tiffany who had never drank in her life. She still hasn't. And so what she knew is that I needed to get healthy. So she gave me a membership to the YMCA in my hometown and just challenged me that way to get me in shape and just really let me talk to her. And she was the first person that saw me as a human again on the on the flip side of, of drinking. So that was a really beautiful moment just to be seen again as, as somebody who was, was a human that just needed to get himself out of uh, out of bad situation and then i found a one-on-one -on -one alcohol counselor um and she was just such a gift she was a like blue haired green haired hippie wonderful woman in my my hometown that just understood me and she'd been sober for 30 some years so that was the first time i'd ever even gone to a counselor gone to any kind of 
anything of that sort where I, I talked about old feelings and stuff. And for me, that that just felt so important to to have somebody who had been through it and had no other agenda than to help me who didn't know me before, had literally no idea who I was and frankly just didn't care about that part of me, just was helping for the future for me. And throughout that time, I, I was walking a ton. I would, if I ever felt as if I, I needed a drink, I would I would just get out and walk. I would listen to a lot of music. Music has always been really, really therapeutic, really healing for me. So I would I would go on six or seven walks a day. And that was even with my cycling classes and swimming. I would just constantly walk. Funny enough, I found a website and this is for when I was traveling called Atlas Obscura, where I would just it tells you all these these random sites around the world. And so I would I would walk to these sites and it was it was just finding the beauty in literally every inch of, of life, like finding the joy in waking up feeling sober and finding the joy in the places that I'd been to 20 times, but I'd only been to this bar. And there was one really, really pivotal moment that happened when I, I went out on tour. I went out on tour three months sober, which is, I mean, just pretty bananas. I don't think many people would suggest it. I don't even know if I would, but it goes into the extreme part of my life of like, I just need to know and I needed to know right then if I could do this, because if I couldn't, then I, I needed to do something different and figure out what that looked like. But I met up with this band and it was a heavy partying metal band. It would have been a perfect scenario for me three months prior to that when I was still drinking. But I remember it was the first time I walked back into a bar and I met this dude named Alex, who's still a, a dear friend of mine to this day. And he asked me what I was drinking. And I, I just told him a soda water. And he was the first person that was just like, that's cool. And he said, well, do you not drink? And I was like, no, I, I drink and I drink massively. So I, that's where I'm at. I, I cannot ever drink again. I don't ever say I don't drink because I do. So at that moment, I, I was in my environment that I was used to and somebody said it was cool that I was sober. And so for me, that moment was like, oh, wow, I can do this. And, and also, I was watching these dudes who were partying like crazy do their thing. And I, I wasn't judging because I had three months ago been them. I, I was actively trying not to die. And for me, seeing it from a sober point of view and then actually being the one who was closing down the bar with them, but closing down the bar meant that I was just carrying them home, which so many people had done for me, really kind of cemented how I just didn't want to do that anymore. And that that wasn't really living to me when I saw that. So I was starting to learn to be social again and and all of that kind of just through putting myself into the fire with it. But practical steps, though, for me, I, I didn't have a choice. I, I didn't have a, all right, let's tiptoe away from alcohol. I had to full stop or I was literally going to die. So I, I think practically, like if you're if you're struggling in especially this time, I can't, like I said, I can't even imagine living through what everyone's living through in the world right now with an alcohol problem. I, I just know I wouldn't have survived it. So what I've been thinking is, and I, I've spoken to friends of mine who, who've confided in me, and if you're drinking at noon every single day, start drinking at five every day. Give yourself a challenge in life of, okay, I drink at noon and this is a problem. It's not realistic if you're drinking like that to say, I'm just going to stop cold turkey. I mean, more power to you if you can do it, but it, it's probably not going to happen. So if you're drinking at noon, challenge yourself to drink at five. If you drink five drinks an hour, maybe try three and then wait two hours. Give yourself realistic challenges, realistic goals. If you if you can, take a full day off a week and step back. And in that day, how you're feeling when when you're sober for a full day and then the next morning you wake up and then you actively choose to drink again feel how you feel in that day and and then if you get to a day then give yourself another challenge of like go a day and a half go till 5 the next day just give yourself tangible challenges that you can be proud of yourself into and 
I think that will empower people that will help you to admit to people uh, as well. If they're like, why aren't you drinking? Then you can at least have a conversation, even if it's an inner dialogue to say like, I need a full day just to stop and and figure this out for myself. So that's my my practical application of it. You know, I, I on the real part of my story is don't let it go till you're in the hospital fully jaundiced at 33 years old or however old you are. Don't let it get to that point. It's not fun. It's it's not an easy road. Uh, it's not a fun road as much as you think it. it's cool and fun what you're up to. It's just not fun when you get to that point. That's great advice. We have a lot of similar advice for people who want to eat plant-based of trying it out, trying meatless Mondays, trying vegan before six and easing your way into it and setting yourself up for success long-term. And I also wanted to take a moment to acknowledge your friend, Alex, who didn't pressure you, didn't make you justify your decision. I feel like as a person who doesn't drink, I'm I'm very used to it and I don't struggle with alcoholism, so it doesn't bother me as much. But often I am asked to justify why I don't drink. And sometimes it's casual and yeah. it's like someone's just curious and, and that's different. But some people are like, well, just during the football game, just at the winery, you have a glass of wine uh, or, or like at dinner. Right. And you just don't know what people are struggling with. And to show some compassion and just say, cool, good for you. That's awesome. It's such a nice thing to do. And doesn't everybody want to try to be nicer? Absolutely. And I'll I'll give you one really amazing anecdote, which even led me to starting a podcast that I host now on that same tour that I met Alex. And he, I mean, I wish I could give him a massive hug right now. I mean, I, I get teary eyed when I think about what he empowered inside of me. So I thank you for taking that moment to acknowledge that and for the that you doing that for other people it's really truly amazing but on that tour where i was actively just hoping not to die every day and working my way towards feeling better and getting healthier there was this other other guy that i had toured with a few years prior to that and we were just heavy heavy drinkers together we had so much fun i love him to death but we just were bad news for each other he was on that tour working with the headlining band. So I didn't see him a ton, but he saw me and we kind of worked in the same environment. But I didn't talk to him a ton. And I wasn't even sharing my story much at that point because I was still in the like, who am I? What am I doing? And can I do this? So I was still really learning who I was. But flash forward to like a year or so into my sobriety, I finally decided to share my story. And I I wrote up this piece and I, I just put it out there. And it wasn't really for the accolades, which you should always give accolades to your friends if they've made it two hours, if they've never been two hours sober, if it's a day, if it's a year, months, like, yes, give that give that credit where it's due. But I finally wrote it because I, I wanted, I knew my story had power in it. And I wanted to reach out to people who, like myself, didn't listen to people saying, don't do this, or you're headed for disaster. I wanted to say like, hey, man, this is a real this is real. I I thought I was invincible. I thought I was all good. And so I wrote this up. And very shortly after this, this guy, Sean, who he read it, and he, he sent me a message and paraphrasing, but he just said, Hey, man, like, I just want you to know that as as I'm reading this, I, I had to write you to tell you my story. And he said, because I saw you on that on that tour, and I saw that you were sober, I said to myself, man, if Nick can get sober, I can get sober. And so the next tour that Sean went out on, he challenged himself to do it for the first time sober. And so he had done that first tour sober. And when he was writing me, he was just about to pass his one year sobriety. So he's a few months behind me in sobriety, but he's passed his two year. I think he's closing it on two and a half years. But you never know how much your story means to somebody or how much your life is meaning to somebody even when it was one of the hardest times of my life, just trying to survive out there and, and figure out if I could do it. In that, in myself, I, I was inspiring another human to take that step to get sober before he got to disaster because he was probably headed that way too. So it's it's really amazing what you can do 
even in the first months when you don't even know what you're doing. There are a lot of parallels, it seems, with the plant-based living and with sobriety. I, I know that Michelle and I both talk about how modeling with kindness, modeling the lifestyle that you're living with kindness and compassion for other people who may not be living the same lifestyle has so much power to inspire others. And on that tour, despite being someone who's now sober, you were kind to the people who who were drunk. You were not judging them for their behavior and uh, were able to make a big impact just by being yourself, just by modeling sobriety and compassion. And that is fantastic. Before we get going, I want to ask if you can leave some words of inspiration for anyone who's listening and who's having a dry January. Maybe it's been a challenge for them and and we're finishing up the month, but maybe they can continue on into February and then maybe March. Yeah, uh, I, I would love to do that. I, I think it's very simple from from my, me to to think of something to say at this moment where for someone who took 26 years to get to drinking and then hit it really, really heavy for seven years. And had you told me that all this time later in 2022, that I would be sitting here telling you that sobriety is really amazing and really fun and really fulfilling and really worth it, I would have laughed in your face. But I I, I stand here today and I, I do say that I I live more fully than I ever have when I was drinking. I, I it, it is so much fun. Had you told me I would have more fun now than I did when I was drinking, I would have laughed again at you. But it, it's really rewarding to give yourself those challenges to get there. And it, it, especially if you're doing one month right now, give it two months. Let, let your body heal. Let, let yourself feel that and, and give yourself that gift of of being yourself and challenging yourself when you're going out and maybe you haven't felt like yourself in a very long time without drinking. And I fully understand that. I, I had seven years of that. And now I feel more myself than ever. I, I can go to bars and I can be around it. And I, I, I laugh and I, I have such a good time with everybody. And it's so much better because I know who I truly am. And I just challenge you all, if, you, if you're struggling or if you know somebody that is just get in there and, and let them know that that they're enough without it and and that you see them and th- that you hear them and that you love them. And even if that's you looking in the mirror, just tell yourself that, that, that you're enough, that you don't need it and feel how good you feel without it, without drinking. And, and me too. I mean, your body will thank you. I, I can fully tell you that Coupling those two together is really amazing, but uh, especially on the drinking front, just challenge yourself. Like, I don't think we all challenge each each other and ourselves enough in life. So truly challenge yourself. Like if you felt really good in January without, go February. And then you might just find that you're better off without it and you enjoy life far more. You you won't have to wake up and be like, what did I do last night? And you'll just truly live. And I, I just encourage people to challenge yourself in life just as an overarching challenge to you. But just really find yourself in those moments of sobriety and see who you are. And, and it's tough and it's it's not pretty sometimes, but but it, it's far outweighs what you find out about yourself when you're That's drinking. great advice. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for being here. If anyone is interested in connecting with you or learning more about who you are and what you do, you mentioned you have a podcast. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah. Instagram, my handle is Tater Chips. <laughs> That's exactly how it sounds. T-A-T-E-R <laughs> Chips. <laughs> yep. And podcast. If you just want to hear some really beautiful stories from beautiful humans all around the world, I have a podcast where I just try and help break down the stigmas of the world and let let you listen to a conversation with somebody you might not have spoken to or just have no idea what 
their version of life looks like. Uh, it's called the Beautifully Human Podcast. And I, I have a ton of them out and there'll be a bunch more coming. So yeah, that's where you can find me. If you're struggling with drinking, please reach out. I, I would love to just chat and pick your brain and support you and tell you how awesome well, you are. Thank you so much for coming on to the Plant Powered People podcast. We uh, loved having you and I enjoyed hearing your story and I appreciate how honest you were. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me the space and it was a pleasure to meet you both. And this has been fantastic. That was another great episode. Nick is, I'm still blown away after that, that conversation. It's really hard to talk about those deep challenges that you've struggled with in life. And I really appreciated his candidness. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to need some time to process everything because it, it, it was a lot. And these are things that don't often get talked about or even thought about. So I'm so grateful to to him and you both. If anyone who's listening feels called to reach out to Nick and wants some extra support or just felt connected to him and his story, we are going to link all of his contact information in the show notes. We also asked him to share resources that helped him in his journey. So we'll link those as well. One more big giant thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Petal, amazing sparkling waters. You can find them at drinkpedal.com. And of course, Better Than Bouillon, we love them so much. And you can find them in your grocery store, in the soup aisle, or at betterthanbouillon.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to leave a review of the show, it would mean the world to us. And it's a great way to support the podcast. So you can leave a review at Apple Podcasts if you feel so inspired. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash people. And we really, 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 really appreciate everyone who is currently a supporter. And um, it means the world to us. Thank you so much. Sending you all lots of love. Have a happy end of your January. And we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.